Hello, sports fans, and welcome to another edition of Yesterday Sports on the Sports History Network. And make sure to check out sportshistorynetwork.com slash giveaways. I have two signed books I'm giving away. One is titled No Nonsense Old School Weight Training, and the other is Reliving 1970s Old School Football. Our friend, author, and passionate historian Matthew Debias joins us once again, and this time to talk about hockey history and the greatest pro coaches in his recent book titled Bench Bosses. Matthew has the scoop on the greatest coaches of all time in pro hockey history coming up in just a moment. Hey, this is Darren Hayes. You've probably heard me on the Pigskin Daily History Dispatch. Well, welcome to my journey of learning more about sports history. And we're going to do it by learning about the great athletes and the uniforms that they wore as they both tell a lot about the games that we love and have watched so much throughout most of our lives. These are the chronicles I'm going to share with you on what I've learned through my journey in the Sports Jersey Dispatch. Hello, my friends of sports history. This is Darren Hayes of the Sports Jersey Dispatch Podcast. Welcome once again to the Pig Pen, your place for all things great in sports history. And welcome to another session where we get to talk to an author of a book that has something very relevant to North American sports. And tonight, we're going to go on the ice in hockey and talk about the guys uh, besides the goalies and the, the officials that stand up the whole game. The coaches. We have Matthew Debios has wrote a great book about this a few years back. Uh, Matthew, welcome back to the Pig Pen. Thank you, Darren. It's always an honor and privilege to be on your show. Matthew, we've had you on a, a few times on your your football related books on Pigskin Dispatch, and uh, you know we're really excited that you've, you've been telling us about the hockey book, and we've been uh, you know saying we want to have you on for a while. We finally got the opportunity. Uh, when we're recording this, the uh, NHL season is officially over. We know that the Golden Knights are the NHL champions. I yeah. I, I don't know that uh, your, your book has any of the uh, NHL, uh, the coaches from the, this year's uh, Stanley Cup uh, championship game in it, but possibly. But uh, we'll get into that in a little bit. So first of all, why don't you go ahead, let's tell us a little bit about what your motivation was to write this book. Well, I have always had this philosophy. Uh, I have this model in which goes history, especially sports history, abhors a vacuum. And uh, this book, my this was my very first book. It's called Bench Bosses, the NHL's Coaching Elite. It came out in 2015. Uh, it it began um, in 20, about basically about 2010, 2011. I was... Um, I always had this fascination about I was it was kind of inspired by something that the baseball uh, writer Bill James did in the mid 90s, where he rated and ranked the all, uh, all time greatest baseball managers using a system. And I was intrigued by a system and I wanted to do the same thing for hockey, basically fill a void because no one had ever done that before. Yes, there have been bios on you know NHL coaches. Yes. But no one has ever thought, OK, who was really the greatest all the time? Was it Scotty Bowman? Could it be Toe Blake? Could it be Glenn Sather? Uh, Al Arbor of the New York Islanders? I mean, how do they compare with one another? Is there a way to determine a system where you could actually rate, you know, that uh, uh, would be, you could rate and rank all the NHL coaches, uh, you know, from any era on a fair and balanced system and come out, you know, with an end result where, yeah, you, you know, you know, this person was the greatest of all time. No, not this person here. And that's what I did. It took me three years to work on it, starting about 2011. First, it was like a series of articles that I published 
on an online magazine called Inside Hockey. I just I ha- I came up with, I came up with my list and then I start doing it one at a time. Basically, go one a single calendar year every year. 50 straight weeks, I, I said, okay, now, number one is, the, is this person. Number two is this person here. I didn't really explain the method. I just you know went right into it. And at the end of my top 50, a uh, guy who uh, uh, worked on Inside Hockey said, Matt, have you ever thought about making a book about this? And I thought, hmm, no, not really. But that, yeah, I mean, I, okay, well, yeah, I will. So I started going over the articles and I started fattening things up. I started doing extensive statistical research here. Um, also, I was also uh, I was all kind of also tinkering with my method because I, I there I was I talk about it in the introduction of my book and discussion of methodology. I was I was using one sort of system, and then all of a sudden I started evolving into a plus minus system. Uh, kind of like what hockey player you know, use on the ice today, the plus minus system, you know, how good are you, you know, on, you know off, offensively and defensively, the higher you are in your plus thing, the better a hockey player you are and all that. And I was using and applying the same standard to coaching. I created like six universal standards of success. And then I used a sliding scale uh, from one through six. And um, and then I uh, then and this was my personal innovation because Bill James didn't do this with his baseball book. I also calculated negative values because I, I, I that was the thing I kind of thought to myself. I thought if you can quantify success, why can't you quantify failure too? So I started establishing systems of failure, and I created four systems of failure, and it was symmetrical. Uh, to to the, the 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 offensive side, with the exception, you know, on the offensive side, you also have making the Stanley Cup Finals and winning the Stanley Cup. Whereas, and you have uh, the, the negative side, there is no such thing. Basically, if you uh, if you have a losing season, you lose a point. If your winning percentage is below, I think it was at three fifty, you lose two points. If you finish, uh, if you uh, let's see, finish in last place, that's four points, and something on the failing to make the playoffs, you know, as another, is another point there. It was a sliding scale one through four. And I run, I ran all the NHL coaches, not just the NHL coaches, but also rival leagues, like the, the world hockey association from 72 to 79. And then in the very early years of pro hockey, there were other two other rival leagues that actually vied with the NHL for the Stanley cup from 1917, 18 to 1925, 26, which was the Pacific coast hockey association uh that existed from like 1911 to 1924 and then later on beginning in the 1920s the western canada hockey league uh, later also later known as just the western hockey league and for six years that league vied with both the pcha and the nhl for the stanley cup yeah in the early years of, of pro hockey as we know it there was three rival leagues could compete for the stanley cup then after 1926 the nhl had sold possession of the Stanley Cup and it's been that way ever since and so I included those coaches as well I I factored them that was my little innovation so it was very comprehensive it covered the full spectrum of established pro hockey leagues that you know were that are recognized there and and I, I I ran it through took me three years and by 2013 I basically had the manuscript done so it was all done and I submitted the manuscript. I I, I hired an agent. Uh, first, I tried to get an agent. I actually got an agent. And then I started working uh, the publishing firms. And, and I'll be honest. I thought my chances were slim, none, and impossible. I mean, I was telling people, said, I, just as a gesture. And I thought, if I failed to get a publishing contract, I was going to self-publish this thing. Guess what? I actually got a, 
I actually penguin random house Canada. I said, we'll take the book. Ah! Nice. <laughs> nice. <I> mean... <laughs> and how appropriate in Canada too. That's yeah, very yeah. appropriate. They, they nice. took it and unbelievable. And, and, and I submitted the manuscript. However, there was a two year delay because they really wanted to do a promotional thing. So it wasn't until October, 2015, that bench bosses, the NHL coaching league came out and was uh, unleashed upon the world there. And, and it, it basically, it's very comprehensive. It's not just your rating ranking the top 50. Uh, what I also do, I, I did a lot of statistical research there. It's almost, it's more encyclopedic in a lot of ways. Uh, I also dealt with like playoff rivalries, like how certain coaches paired against one another in playoff competition. Um, you know, how did uh, Toe Blake go up against Punch Imlock? How did uh, Mike Babcock go up against uh, Dave Tippett? And so on and so forth down the line there. Uh, uh, which coaches coached the most Calder Cup trophy winners or had most Con Smythe winners? It was very encyclopedic. Uh, I'll be honest, looking back at it, if I had to do it all over again, I think I would have cut out the, the encyclopedic portions and just focused on the ratings and rankings because my subsequent books... I learned that lesson. I it was more far more stripped down. My hockey GM book, my college football book, and my NFL pro football book, and all that. And since I kind of ran away with myself with this first book, there typical thing with authors usually in their first works and all that. But it's okay. It's all right. Um, so so it came it came out and it's it's still up on Amazon. So if you type if so fans if you're looking for it uh, again, it's called Bench Bosses. The NHL's coaching elite. Just type I mean, type in my name, Matthew Dibias, D-I-B-I-A-S-E, and there it is. It's you know there it is. First and foremost, my very first book there. And, and folks, if you're driving or you you don't have a pencil and paper, don't worry. We're going to put a link to it uh, both on JerseyDispatch.com for the accompanying uh, article to this post, and we'll put it in the show notes of the podcast as well, so you can yeah. get linked up with Matthew's books. When it came to the top five. Very, very quickly, I did it. I did all the coaches in alphabetical order, and I discovered number one super quickly, and that was Scotty Bowman. I mean, by an incredibly wide margin, because the man coached 30 years. No, I don't think any other NHL coaches coached as long as he did. I mean, he just annihilated all the competition there. And the success and, he had in different cities is just unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, he, re, he, he took the St. Louis Blues to three Stanley Cup finals. He took the Montreal Canadiens. Uh, I mean, he he outdid out Toe Blake, you know, in terms of the Montreal Canadiens there. 73 and then the great dynasty from 76 to 79. Just absolute one of the most devastating uh, dynasties in all of NHL history. The only one that would match up with it would it be Toe Blake's five straight years from 1956 to 1960, which has still never been surpassed of winning the Stanley Cup. I mean, an absolutely stupendous achievement. And Bowman was number one but the man he it was just by a very wide margin there i mean the gap is just enormous there because toe blake only coached 13 seasons and bowman did 30 and all that and then once he left montreal i mean the only rough spot in his coaching career was when he was with the buffalo sabers from 80 to 87 he was both the head coach and the gm but he never took the sabers to the stanley cup finals the closest he ever came was in 79 when he took them to the semis and they lost but he just couldn't get he just couldn't get it done. And then by 87, he was out. 
And he kind of, he was kind of in limbo for a while there. I mean, he wasn't even thinking of coaching. He was simply working in the Penguins front office under Craig Patrick. But when uh, Badger Bob Johnson, who was featured in the book, uh, Bench Boss is there. He's one of the top 50. He contracted the the brain cancer that eventually killed him. Uh, He couldn't coach anymore. Uh, Bowman uh, walked right. It was right there. He filled the breach and he led the Penguins to the 1992 Stanley Cup finals there. Uh, the Stanley Cup title there. Mm-hmm. Then uh, he failed. They failed to repeat in 1993, and for uh, mysterious reasons, um, I, I I can't talk about it on the air. I promise a certain someone that I would never discuss this publicly. It was off the record, so I have to maintain a confidence. I apologize. No, 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 that's fine. That's fine. Yeah, I have to maintain that. Uh, he left the Pittsburgh Penguins. And he joined, became head coach and also part general manager uh, of the Detroit Red Wings. And Bowman was the one who, for 42 years, the Red Wings had not won a Stanley Cup. And finally, in, ni- in 19, you know, first he led him to the finals in 1995. And then finally in 97, he, uh, he won another Stanley Cup title, then repeated in 1998. And then for the last time in his final season, 2002, he won. He won his ninth and final you know, Stanley Cup there. Uh, but I mean, he was just his Bowman was stupendous. I mean, he could do the offense. He could do the defense. I mean, it was not exactly a beloved figure. Unlike Tope Blake, Tope. I mean, I, I talked to some old Montreal Canadians when I was working on an abortive book project in the two thousands. It was supposed to be an oral history of the original six era, and I talked to some old Canadians like the late Henri Richard, Gilles Tremblay, and and uh, uh, Jean Beliveau, you know, before they died. And the love, the absolute reverence they had for Toe Blake was just enormous. I mean, it was like I mean, I talked about that in, in this book here, but yeah. Bowman was never really beloved. I mean, he. Well, I, I I can yeah. tell you I can tell you a little something. Okay, I'm I'm in Western Pennsylvania. We're in Penguins territory here. Yeah. We're not far from the where the Sabers play too in, in Erie, Pennsylvania. Yeah. But uh, we can tell you that you know our our great teams uh, that '92 team, uh, you know, with Lemieux and um, you know the gang going on there. They, they had that great team, and then we had to face them. You know what uh, a decade later with our next great team and stars, you know, with, with Sid, the kid and, yeah. and uh, you know, everybody else going on there. And it was bittersweet to have to look across and see, you know, our old coach coaching for the Red Wings and, and playing in the cup. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I mean, he just, he knew how to create matchups. He was always on the cutting edge and earns when they started doing trapping, you know, in the nineties, he immediately, Created his left lane lock. He was always on the cutting edge of technologies. He never became outdated in terms of tacticals. He, he was very flexible. I mean, with the St. Louis Blues teams, they were very, very physical. I mean, they were they were not afraid to brawl. And in fact, that's where the Flyers got their concept of the Broad Street Bullies because they lost a playoff series to the Blues, and the Blues uh, basically out brawled them, just out muscled them, and all that. And that's what led to the this Flyers' this Broad Street Bullies things under Fred Shiro, who was also featured in this book, very prominently featured in this book. That was one of my most fun chapters, you know, talking about Fred Shiro, because one of the greatest thrills of my youth was watching the Flyers win in 74 and 75. And I talk about that in the book. They're very, I, 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 there are times when I allowed my own personal 
feelings would enter in, like talking about Mike Keenan with the Flyers when he led them to the 85 and 87 Stanley Cup finals and all of that. Uh, and, and Terry Murray, when he led the Flyers to the 90, uh, 97 Stanley Cup finals, I would let my uh, let my own personal feelings get in and all of that, which was fun. I, I But I did it very understatedly. I didn't overdo it. But once in a while, I would come out from the curtains and kind of you know, walk in the spotlight and basically give my own little personal opinion. But mostly I was using what the established record was and all that. But there are some personal vignettes like Pat Quinn when he led the Flyers to the 80 finals and all that. And that great 33 uh, uh, unbeaten streak and all that. Again, a stupendous accomplishment there. And Pat Quinn also was featured in my book as well. But I, I I covered the waterfront. I mean, all most of the, most of the obvious great coaches are in there. From Don, the great Don Cherry, you know, Grapes himself, uh, Scotty Bowman, uh, Tope Lake, uh, Dick, the old coaches like Dick Irvin Sr., uh, uh, Glenn Sather, uh, Al Arbor, Ken Hitchcock, Tommy Ivan of the 50s, Lester Patrick, you know, who, who coached the Rangers from the 20s and the 30s. Uh, old half day who coached the Toronto Maple Leafs. In fact, for a time, he had the most Stanley Cup titles with five until finally Tope Blake broke that record. And then Scotty Bowman broke Tope broke to Blake's record there. He got punch M lock. I mean, all the old great coaches are in there from Mike Keenan to uh, 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 Claude Julian, who led the uh, Bruins to the 2011 Stanley Cup title. Uh, even Bill Deneen, who well, the the greatest coach in World Hockey Association history, he's the one who got you know had the Houston Arrows there. Uh, he 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 was the one who got Gordy Howe to come out of retirement. And then uh, Mar uh, Mark and Marty Howe, you know Gordy's sons, to play with them. And it was and then I mean he had more uh, Avco Cup title appearances than any other um, uh, World Hockey Association coach. I mean the Arrows were a great team. They had a bunch of guys when there was the merger in '79. Whole bunch of his players later went on and had a nice, very fine careers in the NHL. I mean, they could have, if there had been a merger, the Arrows could have held their held their own in the NHL there. They could have been playoff bound. I remember talking to Deneen about it before, shortly before his death in a telephone interview. He said, yeah, I don't know if we would have won the Stanley Cup, but I think we could have you know, gone, you know, made the playoffs and gone deep. He was a great guy, Bill Deneen, very friendly, very kind man. And, hmm. um, but yeah, I mean, Guys like you, you see today, like Lindy Ruff, he's in he's in there. Uh, just um, now, but talking about today's coaches, a lot has changed uh, in eight years. Now, if I had to do this book today, Bruce Cassidy, who led Las, the Las Vegas Golden Knights to the Stanley Cup Finals, guess what? Definitely would be featured in this book. Now, Paul Maurice, no, I'm sorry. No, nah, he would not yet make top 50. Uh, no. Nah. No, not really. Um, but uh, a lot of coaches today, like John Cooper, Tampa Bay, definitely he would be in there. Yes, indeed. Uh, Jared Bednar, Colorado. Yes, definitely. Uh, he would definitely be featured in that book. I mean, sometimes I think to myself, if I'm still alive, like 10, 12 years from now, I would like to do an updated version of this. Uh, using like my new composite rating system where I use six standards to rate and rank coaches, whereas in bench balls, it's only used one and only one standard. Uh, I'd like to update this, but it all depends on my longevity. Who knows? You know, 
Yeah, yeah. Who knows? Maybe the world will come to an end 12 years from now. But it's something I have in the back of my mind, you know. But I've got other projects that I'm presently working on, like my baseball book, which will come out in 2026, and my NBA coaches book that that'll too come out in 2026. And then down the road, like six years from now, I want to do college basketball as well and all that. Yeah. Uh, so I've been working on that. So I got a lot of irons in the fire. Yeah, I appreciate that. Now, now who was maybe one of the more surprising coaches that made your top 50 list? And maybe you, maybe it's somebody that we're not that familiar with that you could fill us in on. I'll tell you a great coach who, who I I talk about in my book, but he's not in the Hockey Hall of Fame. And it's a great mystery to me. His name is Cecil Hart. He coached the Montreal Canadiens from 1926 to 1932 uh, was out of coaching for a while, and I believe he came back, was at 36 or 37, and led the Canadians again for like two, three more seasons. And then he died uh, sometime around 1940, 1941. He died at a very young age. His record was incredible. I mean, he led them, uh, the Canadians to like five or six consecutive Canadian division titles, uh, he coached in the era, uh, which I call the expansion and contraction era from 1926 to 1942, where the NHL expanded to 10 teams. And then because of the Great Depression, they contracted till finally in 1942. That's where you get six teams. And that's where you the beginning of what we call the original six era, because they just they, they recall the six surviving teams after all those financial difficulties and Hart was one of two coaches. The other was Jack Adams, who actually won back-to-back Stanley Cup titles in 30 and 31 uh, uh, during that era because uh, it was very difficult. They had this weird, crazy playoff system that doesn't really make sense today. Right? In the first round, the two division title winners uh, go at each other in the very first round. So actually, one of your division title gets eliminated right off the bat. And, and uh, Cecil Hart was able to do that back-to-back years. And and it was just stupid. And I, I like Art Ross, the legendary Art Ross, for whom the Art Ross Trophy, the, the top scorer in the NHL, is named after. Five times he was victimized by that stupid, stupid rule, knocked off right off the straight off the bat because of that uh, that idiotic idea. And, and that's why he doesn't rank as high as he really should because he was one of the you know one of the all time greats and all that. But it, but it happened that during that era. It's just it was a stupid rule. You know who 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 was the idiot who thought up who all thought up that rule? <laughs> well, actually, I know his name, but I'm not going to embarrass him by staying in and all that. <laughs> but Hart coached some of the early great players in the NHL. Howie Morenz, who was uh, the, before Gordie Howe, before Rocket Richard, before Mario Lemieux or Wayne Gretzky, he was the top scorer in the NHL. Then you had George Hainsworth, one of the greatest goaltenders of all time. I mean, for a time, he held the record for most shutouts by a goalie, 94. And then finally, Terry Sawchuk broke it. Martin Brodeur broke it. And I think uh, uh, Glenn Hall broke it as well. But Hainsworth, I mean, it was just incredible defense. You, uh, who else he had? Um, who was that other guy? Aurel Joriette, a great winger. I mean, tiny little guy, but he was like the little left winger who could. I mean, just nonstop motion. I mean, these were great players. Uh, they had superb defense. They were one of the powers in the NHL. And yet, I mean, his boss, Leo Dandoran, he's in the Hockey Hall of Fame. Morenz is in the Hall of Fame. Hainsworth's on the Hall of Fame. And I think Joliet's in the Hall of Fame too. Why isn't Cecil Hart in the Hall of Fame? I mean, hmm. I mean, 
I mean, he won two Stanley Cups, which is more than the late Pat Burns won. And Pat Burns is in the Hall of Fame. Uh, uh, Amo Francis is in the Hall of Fame. He never won a Stanley Cup. I mean, he made one Stanley Cup final and all that. Uh, Pat Quinn never won a Stanley Cup. Yet I believe he's in the Hockey Hall of Fame. I mean, and the whole bunch of others. I'm not saying they don't deserve it. But why isn't Cecil Hart in there? I have this category called the average season rating. There's a chapter there. And he's in the top 10 in terms which measures the quality of your success, whereas my value system measures the quantity of your success, which I call like coaching value. It was, you know, quantification. More times you achieve certain things, the higher your coaching value was, like your plus minus system, the higher your plus is, you know, that that's that that's how I determine my top 50. But I also had this thing called the average season rating. And it was intriguing. Um, like it measures how uh, how often you can maintain high quality effort there. And Cecil Hart was one of the top 10. And he was the only one, with the exception of Mike Babcock, he was the only one in the top 10 not in the Hall of Fame. And I keep asking throughout the book, why isn't he in the Hall of Fame? His accomplishment is, hmm. why isn't he in there? And he's still not in there. I hmm. mean, on, on, on Facebook hockey sites, I always bang his drums around time when they do the nominations. And I know there's a gentleman, I've never met him, I know there's one guy in the Society of International Hockey Researchers. He's been banging the drums for C so hard. I don't know if he's like a descendant or not, but I hope someday they will induct him. I mean, he is absolutely worthy of induction in my view. Uh, I just, it's a great mystery. And I I talk about that in the book there, Cecil Hart. Yeah. Now, Matthew, now, something that we recognize from, from your Lords of the Gridiron books, you have what you call the heartbreak coach. And I, yes. I know you you did it in this book as well. Maybe you could talk about some of these heartbreak coaches from the world of hockey. Uh, in this book, Bench Bosses, I invented the term, which I have now used subsequently down the road. But it's in this book that the concept I created the concept. I invented the term. It still hasn't stuck in the sports consciousness yet, but hopefully one day it will. When I was doing my research, I made an interesting discovery. I met a, I, I saw there was a bunch of coaches who had a whole ton of playoff appearances, but at no time were they able to get their teams in the Stanley Cup finals. Forget about winning the Stanley Cup. They couldn't even buy it, get a ticket to the one of those two tickets to the big dance. I mean, guys like the late Brian Murray. Uh, who coached the Washington Capitals. He was their first great coach. He was the one actually got made them winners and playoff contenders. But the guy couldn't get into the Stanley Cup Finals. He went to the Detroit Red Wings. He still couldn't get his teams in the Stanley Cup Finals. He was, I think he coached like was it the Anaheim Duck of Florida Panthers and Anaheim Ducks. And he still couldn't get them in. And finally, at the tail end of his career, he coached the Ottawa Senators, and in 07, he led them to their, the sole Stanley Cup Finals appearance in, in their franchise history in 07. They went down, they, they were beaten, but at least finally he broke his heartbreak coaching streak, one of the few who did. And there were other coaches, like uh, the greatest heartbreak uh, coach in NHL history, Jacques Martin. Uh, he coached at Ottawa, uh, and I remember his last coaching gig was with um, uh, with Montreal Canadiens. I remember Closest he ever came, I remember in 10, he was in the Eastern Conference Finals and he lost to the Flyers. But yeah, 12 playoff appearances at not, no time did he ever get his teams in the Stanley Cup Finals. Bob Pulford, who coached uh, the LA Kings and the Chicago Blackhawks in the 70s and 80s, couldn't get his teams in the Stanley Cup Finals. 10 playoff appearances. And more recently, Bruce Boudreaux, Gabby, 
he he coached the Washington Capitals in the late 2000s, and then he coached at Anaheim, and then he was coaching, uh, I think, I forget, was it Vancouver? And I, I forget if he coached someplace else. But the guy, he's tied with Pulford. Ten playoff appearances, and he can't, he can't get them into the Stanley Cup Finals. Forget about winning. He couldn't even get a ticket to the big dance. Now, guess what? Uh, the conclusion of the 2023 Stanley Cup playoffs, Rod Brendamore, who is now the, the head coach of the Carolina Hurricanes, suffered his fifth playoff loss. He is now officially a member of the Heartbreak Coaches Club. That's my minimal standard. If you are a coach with a minimum of five Stanley Cup playoff appearances and you, without ever taking your team into the Stanley Cup finals, you don't have to win it, just get it, get a berth in the Stanley Cup finals, that makes you a heartbreak coach. And there have been some former, like I talked about Brian Murray, who was a former heartbreak coach. There were some other former heartbreak coaches. The very first heartbreak coach in NHL history was Emil Francis, the cat. He had five playoff appearances, and finally in the sixth, in 1972, he led the Rangers uh, to the Stanley Cup Finals, where he lost in six games to the Boston Bruins. But for a time, he was a heartbreak coach. Um, Al Arbor, uh, before he won four consecutive Stanley Cups from 80 to 83, he had five, was it five or six playoff appearances, and he couldn't get into the finals. And then finally in 80, he gets into the finals and he wins the Stanley Cup. He breaks his uh, heartbreak coaching streak. He must have took some good notes during those uh, losing years and uh, figured it out and take those four streaks. What happened was that the Islanders were slowly building. They were an expansion franchise, and they just built it up player by player, draft by draft, trade by trade. And then finally, 1980, all the pieces were together or put into place. And they went on that glorious run. And it's still the great record. 20 consecutive playoff series wins, which is still an NHL record uh, by Al Arbor. It's, it's a stupendous accomplishment. The fact that he came so close to equaling because he had five straight Stanley Cup finals appearances, but he lost to Edmonton in 1984. And that was beginning the great Oilers dynasty and all that. But again, Arbor, I actually met a late Al Arbor. I interviewed him for... Uh, that abortive book project in the 2000s at his ho home in Longport Key. Beautiful man. Well, I had an earthy sense of humor, but he, oh, he was, so, he was a, just a beautiful man, a, a peach of a guy. And I know when he died, I was very sad. I mourned on that day. I mean, it, he had me right there in his den and we just, he was a great guy all around. I uh, just fantastic coach. One of the all time greats. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. Well, yeah. Matthew, uh, why don't you go ahead? Let's tell the title of your book again, where folks yeah. can get it at. And uh, go ahead and do that for us. The title is called Bench Bosses, the NHL's Coaching Elite. It used to be available in stores, but not anymore. You have to get it on Amazon. Just go to Amazon, type in that title, Bench Bosses, and there it is. Or just type in my name, Matthew Dibiase, D-I-B-I-A-S-E, and there it is along with the rest of my books. Well, Matthew, we really appreciate you writing this book and we extremely appreciate you coming on here and telling us about it and sharing some of this great hockey history with us. And uh, thank you very much, sir. Thank you. And God bless you, Darren. Thank you. This penalty kill is almost over. I got to get back out on the ice. But thanks again for joining us for another great edition of Sports Jersey Dispatch Podcast. We'll see you tomorrow.
We invite you to check out our websites, jerseydispatch.com and pigskindispatch.com. Not only see the daily sports history, but to experience the preservation of great events and people that play the games. Find us on Pigskin Dispatch. It's also on social media outlets of Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and don't forget the Pigskin Dispatch YouTube channel. You get all your daily sports history. Pigskin Dispatch is happy to be associated with the Sports History Network, the sports headquarters of yesteryear, found at sportshistorynetwork.com. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hey there, Sports History fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. Each week, the official Football Learning Academy podcast will take you deep into the history of pro football through interviews with players, coaches, or administrators in the NFL, as well as interviews with Pro Football Hall of Fame selectors, authors, and historians You'll learn how the game evolved and important moments that shaped the sport into what it is today. And don't miss the Pro Football History Nugget of the Week. Listen to the official Football Learning Academy podcast on the Sports History Network. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.